Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 336. I had always prided myself on having good organization, but when you throw three to five projects up in the air, it really forces you to be realistic on what's achievable within a certain timeline and how to manage that timeline because you could just manage yourself right into the ground in a very fast manner if you don't uh, it, it's a marathon you know knowing how to go from a sprinting mentality to a marathon mentality are you ready for it factors success stories failures and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge then join eric cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. Are you opening a restaurant and stressing out with where to start? Or perhaps you've already opened your restaurant and you're finding yourself completely overwhelmed with the day-to-day tasks that only you know how to do. If you feel this way, I've got good news. You don't have to do it alone, nor should you regain control of your business and your life with restaurants owner.com and if you go to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable you will get a 10 day pass for only one dollar get on it with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest rafe gable rafe my man are you feeling unstoppable today I feel absolutely unstoppable today. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> Rafe is an exceptional leader with more than 20 years in the restaurant business. With outstanding relationship building, training, and presentation skills, Rafe is a results-oriented business professional with proven abilities to or in strategic planning, managing projects, improving efficiencies of operations, and team building. With both sommelier and Cicerone certificates, Rafe is a vital asset to the Puccini Group, where he serves as vice president of restaurant operations. Obviously, we're just giving the listeners a taste of who you are and what you've accomplished, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra to get things kicked off. What do you got for us, Rafe? Oh, my goodness. So bringing it way back, uh, Mr. Thomas Jefferson. Nothing can stop the man with the right mental attitude from achieving his goal. Nothing on earth can help the man with the wrong attitude. Why is that so important to you? Why does that resonate with you so much? Oh, just, just knowing how many obstacles there are out there operating a business, a business especially is difficult as a restaurant and seeing what burnout looks like. Um, trying to work within those those parameters of that difficult business and just knowing that it really takes a strong will and a strong positive attitude day after day and a relentless attitude 
uh, to achieve those goals. So it just really just kind of struck a chord when I when I first read that. So what do you think it is? What's the secret to having that positive attitude? What, what can we do in our lives to wake up and be positive, have that discipline to be positive? Well, I am no Buddhist by any means or, <laughs> or been cursed of being um, accused of being overly spiritual, but just being grateful and really loving what you do and being passionate about what you do. And if you can't find passion or gratitude within what you do, do something different. And how do you exercise uh, being grateful? Is there anything you do in your life that you can share with us? Absolutely. Um, I journal a lot there you go. On, on a personal level. I really need to see, I'm, I'm, my eyes see black and red because I am a bean counter and I'm always looking at P&Ls. So for me, <laughs> I need uh, a visual uh, tool and for me to write down things that I'm grateful for and places that I've been and the gifts this career has allowed me uh, to literally see pen to paper and to see that it really um, it gets the synapses firing and it makes me uh, start to feel grateful, and more positive. See, this is why I love not really having a structured flow to the beginning part of this interview because I never know what I'm going to get. And I think journaling is so powerful. Um, and I'm curious, before we really dive into more about your role and what you're up to and how you got to where you are, uh, do you have any journaling secrets or any uh, habits that uh, – help you stay with it every day or maybe what are you do you have like a format that you use to kind of stay consistent with journaling my goodness you're right this does take a lot of twists and turns out yeah. of the gate <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you did warn um so i always have my journal and pen already set out and i typically will treat myself to a nice journal and i prefer to write the minute i wake up before yes. the white noise of the world kicks into my brain and even if it's very quick, I feel there's a couple lucid moments in the morning before um, the rest of the world just comes crumbling down on me and I start thinking about my to-do list and my tasks. Oh, there, there's that brief moment where I feel my thoughts are pretty pure. Dude, I'm so jacked up right now. This is a great way to get this interview started. I just uh, <laughs> did a guest blog post for uh, a company that I can't mention because they don't technically exist yet to the public, uh, but it's going to be a really cool company. Um, and the, the first, one of the first, uh, blog posts I wrote for them was, uh, the power of a morning routine and why you need to invest in yourself. Uh, first thing every morning before you can take care of other people And in my morning routine, the morning routine that I'll be honest, I'm not perfect every day, but I, I try to work towards doing these things every day. Uh, first is meditation, then it's exercise, then it's reading and then it's journaling. Um, so First thing every day, you really have to take that time to invest back into yourself uh, to get your to get your thoughts straight, to, to really write down what's most important to you and to prioritize your life. And um, is that what you're doing in your journal? It is. And I'm also an avid fan of exercise with this business, with with gluttony being one of the undertones, <laughs> if not the overtones of the whole operation. Uh, balance and health is, is something that I think is really imperative, both mental and physical for, for long term. You're, you're surrounded around high calorie dishes and alcohol and late night activity. There has to be some balance to that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, man, this could be a conversation, uh, an entire conversation. We could spend time, hour uh, talking about this, but we got to move on. Uh, we, we've got to learn more about okay. you. So I gave the listeners a taste of who you are, but why don't you dive in a little bit deeper uh, about who you are and the role you play at Pacini Re- uh, Group. Pacini, Pacini Group. Hey, wonderful. So my title is Vice President of Restaurant Operations. I have been with Puccini Group for five years. Um, what we do at Puccini Group, we are, excuse me, an international hospitality firm that specializes in design, marketing, branding, operations, and concepts. Uh, what that means is that we are capable and have helped uh, individuals and businesses and brands uh, create uh, hospitality experiences design restaurants for them. Uh, we have also done asset management for existing restaurants. Uh, we have done marketing for existing and new restaurants. And uh, we have created a, a concept out of thin air when somebody has this a space in mind, but they don't know what they should put there. What my role is as vice president of operations is everything from uh, pre-opening services, So uh, helping the restaurant that we've designed uh, or that we've concepted uh, get up to its feet, and that could entail uh, job descriptions, uh, actual training, management training, line staff training. I do have a pretty solid background in beverage, so I tend to collaborate or steer the beverage program from A to Z that would entail everything from uh, selection of products, vendor relations, uh, costing, pricing, uh, training of the staff, um, inventory management. Okay. And uh, yeah, so, you know, just we're really hands on and, and I'm very hands on when we get into a project. Yes, imagine you could say any, everything from this is a bottle of wine I think we should serve. This is how much it costs. This is the piece of paper that the wine list is printed on. This is the glass. And this is the way that we pour it table side and everything in between that would encapsulate that information. Okay. So you uh, basically, uh, to summarize, are somebody who makes the visions uh, of other people come true. You, you make those visions into reality. Uh, is that safe to say? Yes. So how did you get there? Let's go back. Let's hop in this time machine. Go back to 1997, 20 years ago. Uh, what were you doing? When did you know this was going to be your career? When did I know it was going to be my career? What, 20 years ago? Let me think. I think I could state my age. So I was 23. Um, I don't know if I had known then yet. <laughs> I, I was in the I wasn't I was in the restaurant business then. Okay. So um, what- I had started. Yeah, I I had. Pardon me. No, I was going to say, what were you doing? Uh, like, if you didn't know what you wanted to do, like at the time, like what was your thought of what you would become then? Oh, at 23, I was going to be a, a psychologist or an actor. Okay. But I was going to wait tables and <laughs> uh, I was going to continue waiting tables until, until that happened. Um, I had been in the restaurant industry since I'd been 14. It's been around my family um, my, my whole life. So okay. I, I had a, a, a very, uh, defined history with it, a very intimate history with it. Um, I had tried being a chef for a while and then I, I definitely fell in love with front of house. I like the energy. Um, I, I love the interaction. I was very extroverted from a young age. Um, and 
after, you know, it just took a little while, I think with a lot of people when they realize, do I really want to do what my family business is, even though it may seem like the right fit for me, once I, I stopped fighting that, and I said, you know, restaurants are where I'm supposed to be. It does. It helps everything I like. What do I want to do? Either be a psychologist or an actor. That sounds like a, a restaurant GM to me. <laughs> so I <laughs> uh, rolled it fun. So what is <laughs> so, everything you like? You said it, it, it kind of supported everything you like. So psychology, people, I'm assuming, uh, acting, putting on the, you know, uh, putting on a show, an experience for people. What I'm just throwing out thoughts right now. Like what exactly is it that you like? Well, take the easier part first from a theatrical standpoint you're, you're setting a stage every day there there's costuming there's lights there's music there's an there's an opening act uh there's a <clears throat> there's there's a, a series of events that happen from the from the appetizer to the dessert you know you have multiple shows a night um it's people are getting dressed up to come and see this show that you're performing you're, you're a director of all of this. You have all these key players in place and you want to perform this production night after night after night uh, with, with a seamlessness to it. So that's where the theater um, comes into play for me. And then from the therapeutic side or the therapy side is, you know, talking with people that are outside of your normal social network um, you know, seeing the interactions of, I always like to say, your first date and your last date, being able to have both of those tables in your restaurant at the same time. And those are very vast differences <laughs> of, a, of a table. Oh, <laughs> but, man. You know, just and, and Mother's Day and family obligation and all of those great things, you know, all, all the good things and all the bad things, but just really being able to be part of that fiber and be part of somebody's uh, life. But people come to restaurants for very important things and milestones in their life and to really be there and kind of curate or uh, navigate that experience through food and drink, I think is really powerful. All right. So take me to the moment uh, where you knew that you're going to give up on uh, this dream of, or maybe you haven't given up on it. Maybe you might, you might go back to acting someday, but when did you know that you were going to put more energy into uh, becoming uh, a hospitality professional? Well, I was working for a restaurant called Left Bank in Menlo Park, and I, I fell in love with the French culture. I became an overnight Francophile, and it just it hit me. And I started working with the beverage director there, and I said, I, I want to become a sommelier. And he said, okay. And he took me under his wing, and I started learning about French culture and French food and French wine. And... I realized that I'm getting paid to learn this stuff. I was studying cognac. I was studying things that, you know, only a select few people in certain tax brackets have the luxury to understand (laughs) in the depth that I did. And I said, this is amazing. And you're really going to continue moving me up the ladder and paying me more the more I know about food, history, and wine. And I said, I think this is it. I, I think this is what I want to do. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and how old were you? I'm curious when you um, really started to fall in love with uh, this side of the, the industry. So that was probably a couple of years after I was probably around 25. Okay. Where, where I knew, where I knew that I was like, this is it. I, I want to wear suits and I want to understand burgundy. <laughs> I said, <laughs> and that's, that's all I want to do. Uh, so I said, I, that's, 
one thing that you pointed out that I think is awesome that I don't think many people really make the connection to is uh, the connection to food and history. Uh, so much of what we are today is because of food and what we did to food and the, the history bef- behind all these different wines and how they came into existence and the, the, the names that were tied to them, the families that were tied to them. Um, was was that really something that was interesting to you or what, what really did it uh, – what, what really drew you in? Well, I, I can't lie. The, the, the taste and inebriation didn't hurt, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, what? yeah, it's, it, it took, it took something that I was not the best, uh, history, um, student in high school by any means, nor was I the best in geography, but I found the opening to where I just went crazy. I said, all of a sudden I'm 25 and I'm into religious studies because as we know, everything goes back to some form of religion that was taking a tax from it or creating this product. And then here I am interested in, you know, soil diversity and boundaries and, you know, and and governmental structure around products. So it opened to something in me that I couldn't believe was even there. So I just leaned into it. Yeah, it's it's crazy how deep it gets. And uh, I mean, what else was going on in your life at this time? How were you progressing as a, a professional? And um, did you start to de- develop a vision at all around this time of where you wanted to be? I, at that point, my my focus was to to be a psalm. Yeah, I, I knew that I wanted to operate a restaurant. I mean, I guess if if someone was to say, what do you want to be right now? And I would have wanted to be a GM of a, a, a restaurant, uh, preferably a French restaurant and manage a huge wine list and, you know, have it be the coolest restaurant and bar in town. That's kind of what my goal was. Okay. So that was the, the big picture And here. You are today as the vice yeah. president um, of the Pacini group of operations, restaurant operations. So how, how did you get there? Like what, uh, how did your life change and what path did you take to be able to do this work you're doing now? So um, I, I ended up actually being the beverage director of that, that location after, after a couple years, which, which was wonderful. So I had achieved that goal. I'm, I'm also another fan of five-year goals and three-year goals and knowing exactly what they are. So if anybody asks me, what are you working on? This is what my goal is. So I accomplished that goal and I don't know how familiar Menlo Park is about 20 miles south of San Francisco. Okay. And I wanted to get, I wanted to get into the big city. Menlo Park was huge. It's by Stanford university. It's definitely populated, but you know, there's a certain aura around if you've made it in San Francisco in a big restaurant. Well, now you're, you're moving up. So okay. I moved to San Francisco and started working. Uh, fusions were really big. And I got into a restaurant that was doing a Vietnamese and French fusion and um, stayed there for a little while. And then my next goal, I said, I want to get some Michelin star experience. So I I had the luxury of working at Quince, uh, which is a Michelin two-star Italian restaurant in San Francisco. And I also worked at Massa's, which was a one-star Michelin uh, French. Okay. And just, you know, great experience. Just took knowledge and stress and uh, to, to a whole different level, the, the level of perfection that you work on on a, on a minute by minute basis is, is remarkable. The, the detail and the forethought of everything that you do. Um, I, I had, I was able to work with some great chefs, a, a couple of master sommeliers and just 
to really see or kind of start to see what, what, is, what is the next step for my career. So, so during the experience is really when I came to a crossroads where I said, okay, either I become a winemaker, I try to become an MS, a master of sommelier, or I, I do something else. And I were becoming an MS or a winemaker. It, it sounded good. There was some goals, some financial goals that I had that I just don't feel that I was going to be able to reach doing either one of those. those are, and those are definitely some high risk, um, in my opinion, directions to choose. Um, okay. So I wanted to do something that had multiple outlets. I, I started to see myself as I, I want to juggle some more. I, I want to see what, you know, operating a few restaurants at one time could, could look like versus just one single restaurant. Okay. So just to summarize, you're at this point in your life. Uh, how old were you at this point where you're uh, working at these restaurants? Quinch and, and, and uh, was it Mosa? Masa. Masa. Um, you said you were 20, Masa, yeah. you were 27 uh, or 25 when you really started leaning into this industry. And uh, how many years have gone by when you're at this point now where you're deciding whether or not to be a master sommelier or winemaker? Like you looked like you came to a fork in the road. Yeah, I'd probably say my mid-30s. Okay. And, um, this, About 35, yeah. It sounds like around this time you really started getting to the point where you're, you're, you're living intentionally. Like, all right, here's where I'm at. Um, and I need to get someplace. What, what do I want my destination to look like? Is that what was happening? Absolutely. Okay. So why did you choose the path you chose, which it sounds like you were leaning towards, uh, the path of managing multiple restaurants. Well, I, I had such a great experience with French cuisine and I, I felt that I really wrapped my arms around Italian working at Quince and studying uh, Italian wine, and I'd received some certifications by then. And I was starting to feel that I don't want to say that I knew it all, but I, I needed some more stimuli. I, I needed to find something that got me as excited as French did 10, 12 years before. So I, I felt that, you know, taking a, a higher level look into behind the curtain of the business, even more than I already was, um, was what's going to allow me to keep being excited about coming to work every day and continue being excited about this industry as a whole. Okay. So uh, dive into that. Uh, what did you start learning? You, you said you wanted to find more stimuli. So when did this stimuli start coming to you and what form was it in? Well, I, I had a friend that I, I had worked with before and he was working at Puccini group. And I, I had talked to him because um, I was very fascinated with what he was doing. One, he was traveling a lot and two, he was working on a lot of different concepts. Um, you know, some very casual, some very high end, uh, some mid tier. Um, and it fascinated me to think that I could be, working on that much diversity with within one time. And I thought that would definitely keep me very excited, you know, because with, within each one of those tiers, you had so much more, um, so many more layers, you know, because you had regionality. Now it wasn't just, I'm working in Northern California. It's I'm working on a fine dining in Memphis. I'm working a casual concept in Oregon. Oh. And, you know, this is what, and I said, wow, you know, 
your, your demographics are different, your social media reads different, what's trending is different. There is so much to it. And I said, that's what I want to do. I want to figure out a way to do that. So what was it just like the constant change, the constant uh, opportunity for growth and to learn something that really did it for you? It did. It still does. Awesome. And what was that like? Uh, I mean, what were some of like the biggest aha moments going from uh, being uh, really good in the fine dining establishment where you're focused on uh, wine specifically to really having to see the big picture uh, as you started learning things like what can you remember like back to like the, the one of the biggest lessons that you had uh, after that point of going in this direction? I, I can. I had always prided myself on having good organization, but when you throw three to five projects up in the air, it really forces you to be realistic on what's achievable within a certain timeline and how to manage that timeline because you could just manage yourself right into the ground in a very fast manner if you don't. uh, It's a marathon. Okay. You know, knowing how to go from a sprinting mentality to a marathon mentality. Okay. So what I'm hearing from you is as you started taking on more, you really had to look at your organization, specifically time management. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So drop some bombs on us, dude. Um, what were you doing differently in your life? What new habits did you develop during this time where you uh, made the most of your time and you were able to, to manage all these different projects? Well, delegation is the the holy grail. <laughs> you you have to really delegate and push yourself up to that level and allow for yourself to embrace that. Even though for somebody like me, that was very much uh, controlling and wanted to be part of every decision and steer every single decision, knowing that there's too many decisions to be made. There's too many changes to be made that it, you wouldn't be effective at that view. So allowing yourself to go through that 20 or 30,000 foot view. Okay. So getting to the point, um, uh, it sounded like the biggest struggle first for you in regard to delegation was letting go. So how do you get to that point um, where you can let go? What do you need to do in order to let go? Is there anything that needs to happen first or like take us through that process? Well, I, Eric, I wish I could tell you it's because I, I was really smart and I didn't run myself into the ground <laughs> and become <laughs> exhausted, but <laughs> that's not it. I, I was surrounded by a lot of uh, people that were smarter than I and that suggested that I consider this. And, and I did some of my own experimenting and um, ran myself you know, around and started feeling like I was chasing my tail and uh, just, just became exhausted and ineffective and it just, I had a look at it that this style that I had before is ineffective and I cannot continue to be ineffective for a client. So I need to uh, adjust my, my process. What adjustments did you make? Um, calendaring meetings with agendas, you know, not just really being specific, do mirroring things that I have seen that maybe I didn't understand why they were done, but I figured if people that are in better positions than me are doing it, then maybe it's a good idea. Example, having office hours, not replying to every email immediately, you know, looking at how do doctors and professors and people that I strive to be one day 
operate their business life and just clunk my way through it until I figure out why it, if it fits or not with what I'm trying to do. Okay. Um, so do you have any um, techniques when it comes to calendar or using a calendar or really uh, having an agenda? Like, do you have a, a process that you implement? I do. So well, one, I, I like to have, you know, weekly touch bases with different uh, team members and it's something we just, it's always set on the calendar and there's always a conference line to call into it. And once I've solidified what that agenda is, I'm realistic with how many topics can fit in there, maybe seven to 10 if it's an hour. And I like for it to pretty much be the same seven to 10 topics Okay. so that we're just kind of, we're pushing these along. So we're just touching base on where are we at profit uh, month to date, where are we at labor month to date. So these numbers are, or this information is just being delivered on a weekly basis. So now, and now I can save that information and when I need to drop back into how the business is so that I can report to whomever I need to, I have that information readily available. So it, it lives and it, it forms in a lot of different ways. Okay. So uh, I guess what I'm kind of hear- hearing is you started time blocking where you have specific time designated for specific uh, projects and then you get down to specific topics within those projects. Yes. Knowing that there's Eric, a hundred topics every day, but I only need to talk to you about the 10 most important ones and you can figure out the other 90 on your own. <laughs> I just see, so you know, because it's, um, if not, we'll, we'll just ground in those hundred together. And that, that's another example of being able to just kind of pull out and say, this is what I'm going to uh, assist and oversee. Okay. So that's another thing that's really important too. So I'm just going to pedal back a little bit so I can create the big picture. We're talking about um, one of the biggest lessons you had is basically time management in organizing uh, your life. And you mentioned delegation, uh, cal- using a calendar, uh, developing an agenda, and then you just also mentioned prioritizing, essentially, where you make a list of the most important things and you focus on those big things. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, do you want to dive deeper into this, or are there any other things that happened in your life around this time, uh, any other aha moments or different ways you were living that you want to share with us? I, I will I will pause for a moment, and I do apologize um that I don't recall the, the source that I, I received this information, but nonetheless, it's been very powerful and I've shared it with a lot of individuals is that every single day when you start your day, and again, every single, I, I have flaws and I, I can't say I do anything every single day the same way. But my initial approach is that I look at what are the top three things that I want to finish today. Mm. And I know there's 150 of them, but those are my top three. And I chip away at those. And then I go to my next top three and there's going to be life that's going to zigzag in and out. But I always have that focus because for me, nothing is more disheartening than working 16 hours and saying you did not accomplish anything except move information. Yeah. And again, to come back to what we were talking about (laughs) earlier with the power of meditation and journaling, like it's really easy in the the day-to-day chaos to lose track in focus on, of what's, the most important three things you can be doing with your time. Um, right. So it's so important, to, important to take that time every morning to really get clear about what the most important things are and to prioritize those most important things. If I do anything today, I'm going to do these three things that will get me closer to whatever it is I'm trying to get close to. Uh, so powerful. And um, it wasn't eat that frog by any chance. Was it Brian Chase, Tracy? Was that where you got that information? Cause it sounds familiar. Yeah, it, it may be. It's starting to sound familiar. Okay. Um, Anything else uh, on the, the topic of just 
things you started doing differently in your life to gain control and to live intentionally? Just having faith that other people that are working with you know what they're doing. Just, just, just allowing people to have their, their, their own growth and their own process, you know, and just not micromanaging people. Hmm. Having faith in others is what I wrote down. Beautiful stuff. Um, so I'm curious, yeah. um, in, in the work you're doing at the Pacini group, uh, you, you, people approach you, I'm assuming with their vision, their dreams, uh, and you help them get and accomplish whatever it is they're trying to do. So, uh, what are the biggest mistakes, uh, you see people making when they're approaching you? Um, and what are the things like if, like, what's your process look like for really helping that person achieve whatever it is they're trying to achieve? Well, the first, if somebody comes to us and they're looking at doing a restaurant without a concept, so I guess there's two different ways, Eric, if I would like to hear how you want me to take this. If somebody comes to me and they have a concept in mind or somebody comes to me and they just have a space in mind. Um, I hope that people come to you with a concept or a vision of what they want to create, not just let's throw a business in the space personally. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I would say uh, start, start with the vision, start with the end in mind of what you want to create and then work backwards from there. Um, so let's, let's take sure. that approach. So someone comes to me with a, a concept or a vision. Yeah. Okay. So funny, funny you say that. It's, I, I sometimes hope they just bring me a space, but it's, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Um, when somebody comes to me with a concept, what I have to do, or one of the things that I, I do, is we start taking an analytical approach to the success of this vision. And what I mean by that is we um, do a CSR, so a concept strategy report. And what this entails is us looking at saturation of said products or concepts throughout their demographics, one, three, and five miles, and look at what's trending currently on a local level, on a national level, and also dive a little bit deeper into what are some of their financial goals around this. So we're still talking about the same vision or this concept that they brought to us. Okay. Because sometimes we'll have someone come in and they say, I want to do a high-end French restaurant because that's what I do, and I love it. I think it's great. And we can all agree, but where you're putting it is not going to agree with you. And that's when you start saying, "We're opening a restaurant is difficult enough, but if you're saying now you're going to be a destination restaurant that's at a high level, uh, high guest check average, that's in the middle of nowhere, it's you know, you, it starts to become the, the hurdle becomes higher and higher. Is, is it achievable? Sure. But let's, we have to be honest with one another. That's what I say when, when people want us to work with them, okay. that we have to be honest with what this, what this hurdle looks like now. In this process, you so, called it a, a CSR? Correct. Okay. And, uh, you basically, it sounds like kind of like a, what's that stand for again? CSR? A concept strategy report. It kind of sounds like a SWOT analysis. Am I wrong? Yeah. No, no, no. That's definitely a part of it. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So the SWOT analysis is the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. What are the other parts? So um, what are your demographics? Uh, What's their age? What's their level of education? What's their medium uh, income? Because all of those things are very important to this concept that we're talking about. You know, if you're doing $100 per person, in a place that the average salary is thirty eight five a year, that's going to be a destination restaurant that people are only going to be on 
anniversaries and birthdays? And does your business model allow that to be a destination restaurant that you're only busy on the weekends for holidays, anniversaries, or birthdays? So okay. it, it starts to kind of funnel down, and we start to really put a, a heartbeat to this and say, is this realistic? Awesome. Sometimes that's the tough part, because if you can imagine when, when you're working with chefs and direct beverage directors, you know, they, they're very, very passionate, and this is their art. And this is something they worked very hard for. And for someone to come in and say, this is going to really be difficult to get up off its feet because of where you want to do this. You know, and can we maybe make this a little bit more of a casual experience that still stands true to your initial vision? Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's really important to like tap on the brakes for a second and really um, put emphasis on that idea that this is going to be hard. And I think when you don't have somebody in your corner, like uh, like a, a a consulting group, like the Pacini Group, um, you really got to take a step back and tap into that analytical part of your brain and say, okay, what am I not thinking about? Like, what? I mean, I'm passionate. I want to do this. Uh, I'm very optimistic. I'm that kind of, you know, pull the trigger and aim. Like, ready, ready. Sh- sh- what is it? Ready or how's it go? Ready, shoot, aim. I think it's like the way like yeah. you uh, you just right. you know just try to figure it out as you go. Um, but when you're trying to create something you know uh, th- of anything to scale, uh, you don't really have many chances. You got to do it right the first time. Um, so it's so important to have that person challenging your concept of reality or your thought of like is this really re- realistic? So if you don't have that person, maybe go find that person or maybe have the discipline, maybe like write it down in your checklist. So take a step back and think about where you are and is this going to work? Um, uh, what, what else happens? What else are you doing when people come to you? What advice are you giving them? Well, you know, we're, we're asking the tough questions. If they're so inclined to, to, to bring us on for this part of it is, you know, what is your return on investment? You know, what, what are you looking for? If all this capital is going into this design and this build out of this space, are you hoping to have that construction paid off within three, five, seven years? And again, it all goes back to, is this business model going to allow for that? Um, what were your marketing plans, your pre-opening marketing plans? You know, we can assist with that as well. I mean, that's big, especially in today's world. You just can't turn on the neon open sign and unlock the door and expect it's going to work. There, there needs to be a push behind this to really uh, make you relevant or noteworthy in a market, especially markets like San Francisco, Chicago, where great restaurants are everywhere. You're not doing anybody by favor by opening another great restaurant. You really need to get your name out there. What's that pre-opening market plan look like or what should it look like? Well, starts about 90 days out, 90 to probably even push out about six months where we're ramping up everything. So we're reaching out to, uh, to local press. We have probably brought on a, a local PR firm and we are, you know, steering their initiatives um, all the way up to including having, you know, food bloggers come in, pre-opening party, having local you know, food digest type publications, wherever the city may be. Eater is a big one that we love. And I think it's, it's relatively prevalent in most cities. Um, how are they picking up your stories? Who are you pitching your stories to? You know, how are you doing this like tease marketing that, you know, the modern day coming soon 
or you know what what is your story so and do you have these stories and images ready so when someone does pull the trigger and say hey we want to write a piece about you or we heard that there's a new liquor license that just got picked up in this area you're stocked with great imagery a great storyline that talks about the chef talks about the manager talks about the cuisine so that you don't have writers creating their own story about what you're doing. You have a story to give them. I love it. Uh, so many valuable things coming here. Uh, just to summarize with the, you know, the pre-opening marketing plan, uh, be proactive. Don't wait for these local press agencies or the PR uh, firms to come to you. Go to them uh, and take the initiative, get the word out there um, and what is your story? Like when people do come to you, are you ready to tell them what your mission is, what your purpose is, how you got there? Like people resonate with stories. You need to be able to tell it. So get, you know, take the time to, to write it down and to really get clear about who you are and, and why you're doing what you do. So important. But do you have any advice? Well, first let me ask, are there any other things that should be on this pre-opening marketing plan? Hmm. If not, well, that's, that's fine. I can pull back later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's not my, my personal expertise. Uh, but, you know, what I, having a post-marketing plan as well, because you, you can't come out strong and then just fade away. You know, you, you have to always be pushing. What are you doing? I mean, we're, you know, the operations that we have, we, we say there should never not be a time you have a marketing uh, firm in place, ever. Why, why would you, you know, when, when you think about the big picture of a multi-million dollar business allocation of that top line should have, there should be a marketing line in there mm. so that you don't get 15 years down the road and you're in such a deep, dark hole that there's nothing that's going to pull you out other than a complete new rebrand and reconcept. What's so, a good percentage yourself? Would you say uh, 3%, 3%, 3%, 3%. Yeah. Three to 5%. Uh, so you said this isn't your area of expertise. I want to know what your area of expertise is. If I'm a, if I'm going to ask you, Crash, can I call you Raphael just because I, I keep on wanting to say Raphael and I think that's way cool. <laughs> of course. All right. So Raphael, sure. um, where do you shine? Like if, if we have like another 15, 20 minutes to kind of freestyle here to really get to the goal that's in your head. So what is that goal? If you could just, you know, riff, what would you want to riff on? So Raphael riff. For, for myself, per- yeah, my personal. Oh, um, <laughs> where I think my yes, I love it. Uh, where, where I think my my strongest suit is 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 really understanding the balance between um, operating a business lean, lean being you know your, your total cost of goods and your labor, um, but at the same time having guest experience be completely top notch. And how how I do that is I'm always looking at different ways. Uh, through through purchasing power, through um, looking at you know really deep diving into what are the products that I'm using and am I using the the best products that that are out there and at the best price and just to kind of get a little bit deeper into it I've been dorking out a lot about Italian wine so Italian wine really expensive in certain areas really inexpensive in others you know am I getting wine out of Campania and Puglia and Molese Southern Italy spectacular but I can make so much. My cost on that is, is minimal versus doing wines from Tuscany or yeah. Piemonte. That would be a great business decision. So is it, is it just a matter of doing the research to find out uh, where these great wines are that are affordable? Yes. And I, and I think asking the tough questions, you know, flexing uh, with your vendors, 
You know, asking the asking the tough questions. Negotiation is wide open. What are the if, tough if, questions? If your state if your state ABC laws allows it, it's it's you know there's there's certain regulations from state to state. What are the tough questions? Is is this the best price that you can do for me? Okay. And that's a basic one. Or do you realize that this is the only Chardonnay by the glass I'm going to pour, and I have other people in line that want to have this law. <laughs> okay. Um... Uh, because I mean, it hits below the belt. It, it's very, it, it's very direct. And I always like to ask all those questions. Because if it's not you, it's somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was like, I was like, I would like to remind people that you know they're they're not the only one at the dance. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, you can dance. There's a lot of partners you can dance with. I think this is uh, an uh, awesome topic, and I really want to dive in deeper because I feel like, um, I mean, one of the things that will make you successful in this industry is being able to increase those margins as much as possible and to operate as efficiently as possible. But I feel like sometimes people get too focused on cutting costs, uh, being too efficient at the expense of losing that human touch, that, lo- that losing that, uh, you know total impact on the experience because they're too concerned. Uh, you know, they, they, they dilute the quality of the product because they're trying to be affordable or, or to increase profits. Um, so what other secrets do you have to keep that amazing experience, um, while operating leanly? Well, one is if you can't provide the product for without, you know, raising the prices because I, I never want the guests to see I, that the prices are, are increasing so that my bottom line increases. I, I want to try to find another way to do that, whether that's through my own purchasing power or, or my, my, my plating costs or just my, my menu engineering um, is you can't offer, then don't offer the product, find an alternative. I see people offering, you know, low grade ribeyes for the sake of being able to offer a ribeye. And if your business model doesn't allow it, or if you can't run a high cost of food for that said item and know it'll balance out at the end of the month, then you can't do a ribeye. You have to do a bavette. You have to do a flat iron. It's what you can offer at that price model that's going to be a better product. What about uh, just not budging on, like, you know, I've, one thing I've heard is just charge what, you know, have your percentage, have what you, you know the, the margin you, you need to make on that product and don't budge on what that cost is like don't go down on price um get the best and charge what it's worth and stand stand by your decision is that something that you would agree to say or is that does that not always work i i think sometimes it's it's difficult if you try to keep to a business model, you know, keep to a, a level of casual and put an item in, you know, the, the item just may, I guess the item may not, not work for that. If what happens, you become like so many hotel restaurants I see that are doing like a $70 steak and an $18 gray goose martini, mm-hmm. because that's what the price they should charge in the mind of what their budget is. But there, there's no perception of value there. Mm-hmm. Guests don't, don't want to see that. Um, you know, I, I just think that being knowing knowing what you're serving and knowing what the guest check average that you're trying to work within, and then answering to that. You know, if I'm looking at, I'm not going to do any more than a fifteen to nineteen dollar entree in a in a restaurant. I already have in mind what those protein selections are that I can work with in there and execute well. 
They don't need to be low grade. They that, that I know what I can what I can do and answer all the classic fish, chicken, pork, steak. I know what I can do within that parameters, and I'm going to make it the best, and I'm going to buy the best product within that. So what I'm hearing from you is know who you are, know who you're serving, and set really strong parameters to stay in that niche that you've created from yourself from the very beginning. Yes. Beautiful. Um, all right, Raphael, we've got some time to freestyle here a little bit longer. Is there anything that uh, we didn't touch on uh, as far as advice or pieces of wisdom or knowledge that you have that uh, you know that if you share with my audience that they will be better after listening to you that we can touch on right now? Yeah, there's one that's really on the front of my mind. Is, is understanding your labor model and always revisiting that labor model. Who is doing what? B- big picture, you're looking at this is what my staffing model is and this is how much it costs me. You know, I, I'm surprised how many businesses I go into that cannot tell me how much a week's worth of schedule costs them. They just can't give me a number. So- you should know that number backwards and forwards. You know, like... Here's seven days. How much does the kitchen cost if they work every single minute you have them scheduled over that seven days? What is that dollar amount? Okay, so my listeners, you know what that is. they, they yeah. want to do this, right? They they say, okay, yeah. I don't, I might not know that. So where do we start? Like, what's the first step to really understanding your labor model? Well, you know, going through and, and costing out that schedule. There's you know some programs you could build something out simply in Excel, um, but I don't have any apps right off the top of my head, but I know there's some out there. I just use a, a simple Excel that I drop in hourly and it just calculates when I put in the uh, set hours for line cook one, line cook two. Okay. And it gives me um, a dollar amount per position and a dollar amount for the whole department weekly. I'll sometimes come into an operation and they are not doing as well as they want to do. And I do this simple study and I say, your labor model needs $5,000 more in sales a week so or you need to trim your labor. It just doesn't work. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a simple Delta. I'm not a genius by any means. It's, it's just simple mathematics. Mm. I need to run a 20% labor. This is what my sales are. Okay. That's not 20%. One of these needs to be adjusted. Awesome. What else are you, what um, other numbers are really important in regards yeah. to, um, I mean, I know labor falls into that prime cost. Uh, do yeah. So do you want to talk more to that? Yes. Um, so what does each one of these individuals do? And is there any cross-training ability, especially if you're in a, a smaller footprint of a restaurant, meaning, you know, can, you know, do you have, um, you know, a, a dishwasher that, that you shut down between lunch and dinner that okay. can do prep? You know, um, how, how does this work? Are, are you aware of each plate? You, you have an item. I like to look at a product mix. Product mixes. Um, how the items are sold. So if I look and I say, okay, I sell tons of this said dish. I sell tons of the half-roasted chicken. That's my top seller. Great. How long does it take me to make that half-roasted chicken? And can I improve the labor around that dish? The guest isn't going to see anything. I'm just going to reap more money from that because now I'm prepping more efficiently. I'm timing that dish more efficiently. And I'm shaving seconds and minutes that are just going to calculate and add up week over week, month over month, because that's a very high volume item. And I'm just chipping away every single item just like that. Mm. Making sure everybody has purpose. Does this position have purpose? Can this person take on more work? 
So, and the answer I think you'll you'll, you'll find is, is is yes. If everybody's checking their phones and leaning, they they can take on some more work. So what I'm hearing is really just challenge reality, like being open and yeah. honest. Like, do we need all these people on at this time? Are we getting the most out of each person that's on our team? And where can we start, you know, getting lean? And then uh, really just like getting – it's a matter of being just creative, really creative thinking and uh, challenging your perception of reality and not settling with, okay, it's set. Now let's forget it. Set it and forget it. Like just constantly be uh, aware of where your money's going and – if it's money well spent. Yeah, I agree. Yes. And, and here's one just to kind of screw down a little bit more is in and out times every single season. So when daylight savings changes, I look at my in and out times because I know daylight is going to change my business model. People are going to dine later. People are going to dine earlier. Can I change my start times around that? And it's maybe 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes here couple guys start a little uh, later than others. But I tell people, you're not going to find a, a satchel full of gold. It's all incremental savings that is going to hit the bottom line in the end. Yeah. So when I know my it's summertime and it's hot, it's 80 or 90 until 8 o'clock at night, I don't need everybody on my line sitting there at 5 o'clock. I haven't sat my first dinner until 7.45. Yeah. I mean, what Raphael is talking about is data, right? Like pay attention to anything that you can track. Uh, Look for trends. Look for trends in the weather, like when people are coming in, uh, and really collect this data. Are there any resources you know of uh, that you can share with us that help you track that data? I like Avero or C2It. They're they're a, a relatively inexpensive program, which neither one I represent for full disclosure, but I have worked with in uh, different projects. Um, And it's just a data collector. And I like it because your typical point of sale system will give you information. But what I like about these secondary programs is they allow you to curate easily a report that's specific to what your needs are. And they're great if you have an owner um, that is asking for snapshot data because you can have them sent out on a, on a daily basis. You know, your prime cost. I, I do this. I'm overseeing a few projects right now, and I'm getting a prime cost that's sent to me every single day. And it's all, it's all prime cost. I, I don't need all the ancillary numbers in between. How many people came in, guest check average, what was our labor, what was our split between, you know, alcohol and food? That's all I really want to mm-hmm. see. So you can self-generate these great reports. So if, if you were doing these reports on your own, calculating these reports, entering the data on your own, like finding the data, then entering it, uh, how much time a week would you say that would take? To do a prime cost? I, I know that because I'm, I'm working with a, someone who hasn't got a program yet. <laughs> it, it takes the managers... Um, they could probably do it in about 15 minutes a day, 15 minutes, you know, a day. 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. Once they, once they get on it, you know, go into the POS system, uh, pull the numbers, drop it in. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's data entry. Okay. So and, about uh, 60, 60 minutes a week, approximately. Sure. Um, and uh, that's just for, you know, prime costs and the most basic, but not even taking into account looking at weather and days of the, the week and all that stuff. If, I mean, sure. going through this data, uh, it's, it's important, but it's also very time consuming, which is one of the reasons why, like, you, you know, you mentioned Avero and see to it. And another one that comes to my mind is Upserve, which is another great tool that really looks at data. Um, these things, I mean, they're worth the investment because it's, it saves so much time and you have that data just being shoot to you automatically 
Uh, it comes straight from anything that any technology that's in your restaurant, uh, and they're all great. They all have been recommended a bunch of times on the show. Uh, but what what would you say like, the uh, like the monthly expense for like a Vero or Situa is? I think south of two hundred dollars. Yeah. So um, I mean, it, it pays for itself. I guess is the point that I'm, a lot of people look at this and they go, "Well, I, I can't afford that." But can you afford to have your employees? Uh, doing this manually and when they should be developing training programs and uh, paying attention to your employees needs, uh, like, you know, the, the managers paying attention to employee needs or guest needs. Like it, 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 it's a time suck. Um, and I don't know. Do you have any thoughts to that? I, I do. I, I, it's, it's one of the things that I right out of the gate, I suggest to any new client because even if they say, well, we're heavy on managers, they should do this. The type of reporting, let's just say anybody, uh, above the property level wants to see some data, you're, you're sending them a multi-sheet Excel spreadsheet with some cells that you've killed, you know, so for them to try to read through versus something that's tight and easy. You can have regional director, manager, A, call and say, I need to see data for, you know, how many brunch covers have you done for the last two, you know, four months of Sundays? And you can send that to them clean versus trying to go through a prime cost sheet and remember which Sunday was on each day. It's it's messy. And that's really where it becomes a time suck is when somebody starts to screw down and want some true lifetime data. Mm -hmm. Same time last year, same time last month, same time last week. That's where the program pays for itself 10 times over. Yeah. And like you mentioned earlier, really just focusing on the details and paying attention to every little thing where money is spent. Like these, these tools will break that down for you instantaneously. It'll shoot you a report daily on spreadsheets and, and you know, charts. And it, it, it's all there. It really helps you get that information to really get as lean as possible. Um, and with that, with the more information, the better decisions you can make. So uh, great tools to help out with that. And um, this is where I get my guests to uh, tell us about a time they fell on their ass. So tell me about a time you failed and fell hard on your ass. Wow. Um, so I was operating a restaurant and uh, we, we were in a death spiral. Uh, the market had changed abruptly. And we were unable to renegotiate our lease. And it just, we were dealing with a bunch of issues with signage and lighting. And there was a lot of things that were just stacked up against us. And there was really no way to to pull this one out. And um, we we had to shut the restaurant. And it was a large staff. And it was a large, um, you know, it was a lot. It was a lot of moving parts. And um, we had to shut the restaurant down. And we had to let a lot of great um, players go be- because of the um, where we were. Okay. And, um, and yeah, and it was definitely one of the, the hardest things to to do. To one, to, to fail, it, it does not resonate well with me. And two, going to people that I thought did an ex- exemplary job um, at their you know performance at their job and to let them know that we would no longer be able to employ them mm. and so that was i have i have terminated people for for reasons uh performance reasons but i have never had to let pe- that many people go because we could just no longer support their employment so really um yeah it was definitely um it was many many years ago but it's still a, it was still a gut check to have those one-on-ones with people that were really just part of the movement and bought in and were, they were there, you know, they were, they were great soldiers. 
So what's what so, would you uh, have done differently? Like, what was the lesson if you could go back and do it all again? Like, where did you go wrong? What's the thing that you could have changed? Hmm. I I don't know. I don't really know what I what I could have changed. Um, maybe we could have been more aggressive with the with the owner on um, lease renegotiation. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, I th- that, that was it was that was a real hand tie situation. If there is a silver lining, what, what would you say it is? Yeah. Um, that I was able to help people out as much as I possibly could. Everybody got a letter of recommendation. A lot of people got passed over to other businesses that we were, and you know, and we had. Um, a moment, and I'm I'm actually still in contact, you know, through the LinkedIn world many years later with these people, because when you experience something traumatic, like losing your job, yeah, is there's a certain bond that's there when people weather something like this. Yeah. And I would say the silver lining was knowing that I got a team of great individuals out there that we turned a key on a place, and we you know we the ship went down but we were there and we were able to walk away with some relationships. Yeah. And I think that's just something too, like, you know, people will never forget how you made them feel. So maybe this, this project flops or for whatever reason, like something didn't happen the way it was supposed to happen and it doesn't end up working, but you're not going to stop there. You're going to move on to the next project. And when you do, if you don't burn those bridges and you take care of these people, you're going to have a massive network of people you can go to for future opportunities. Um, if you treated them well and they, and they were a part of a good team, um, you know, people make mistakes, but how are those relationships? I mean, was it a complete failure if you left with uh, leaving an impression, a, a positive impression on all these people, they might've lost their job, but at least they might've enjoyed where they were working. No, I, I agree. And a, and a lot of them, I've actually through the, how this world works and how this business world so I've, I've come back into a, to a um, loop with, with a couple of them and it was always great. And it's like the first thing was like, wow, how have you been? Have you been? And you're like, Oh my God, do you remember that place? <laughs> and then, you know, and we're like, yes, you know, and then it's, we, we picked, we, we picked right up where we were, you yeah. know what I mean? Cause we were, we were, we were shoulder to shoulder. And so it was like a really abrupt stop. You know, usually people like peel away and take different positions and do this, but you know, for everybody to kind of be uh, in sync with one another and then just stop. And then you're like, that's it. Well, Everybody peels away. It's so. been awesome up to this point. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsor. We'll be right back. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn. That never ends. <laughs> but what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy-to-access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. 
Now, just find the Tipsy Banner in the show notes. After studying over 300 successful restaurant professionals, I've discovered that to be successful in the restaurant industry, you need skills that go far beyond knowing how to cook. All of our guest mentors are damn near experts on business operations, systems, and culture. That is not a coincidence. That is what it takes to be successful. This is exactly why I tell everyone I know who wants to open a restaurant or is in the restaurant business to get a membership to restaurantowner.com. For only $29 a month, you have access to over 300 templates, including business plans, checklists, forms, manuals, and procedures. In addition, you have countless resources at your fingertips to join a community that has helped over 40,000 restaurant owners make better lives for themselves. Head over to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurants unstoppable listeners you will get the first 10 days for only one dollar again that's restaurantsowner.com slash unstoppable we're back and the first question i have for you Raphael, is what is your it factor, your habit, your trait, your characteristic, something you believe most contributes to your success? Oh my goodness. Um, I would have to say I'm just, I'm relentless. Mm. That would, that would be my, my, my trait, just relentless for success. What is your biggest weakness? Um, I'm hypercritical of myself and others at times. Ooh, how does that hurt you? Um, I just don't give myself a break. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I, I don't think I've given myself an A in a very long time. I'll be plus every once in a while. I, I, one side of my brain, I tell me it keeps me humble. And then the other side, I, I say it just makes me insane. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, I love the quote, Ari Weinswag of Zingerman's. And uh, he says that sometimes your strengths can be your weaknesses. And I think that's a perfect example of, you know, just having that high standard for yourself, being your own worst critic. Um, but at the same time, it can beat the crap out of you if you, if you let it. So uh, just knowing that balance and uh, that's cool. Um, and what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Oh, that um, leading others, that huh? that it's not a one size fits all. That really be um, available to ebb and flow around different personality types, mm. and and just just know that it's one style is not going to capture the masses. And people are so individual and especially in this, in this business with so many extroverted, strong personalities, you really have to kind of sit in and get to know that person before you can manage and motivate them. Is there a way that you remember this or a trick that, you know, to kind of remind people to, you know, tap the brakes uh, when leading and to really take that into consideration? Um, other, other than just, just the, the experience that I have now with, working with so many individuals and so many different locations. It's, I I think that I, I joke, I think I have it down about 15 personality types. I'm sure there's some more out there, but I start to see some, some, some repetition within certain personality types. And now I can remember what, what worked. Um, Sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes that doesn't work for them, but I get a little closer each time I open a new project. Um, And and it's, and it's great. It, It is what fascinates me. The human mind fascinates me. 
Uh, there, there's so many things behind what motivates you or what doesn't or what makes you want to, you know, dig in and not do something. Um, I, I always like getting beyond that and figuring out, you know, how do I get someone on, on board and, you know, part of the team. So we're only as good as our team. Um, so what's one question we should ask or thing we should look for when trying to develop that team? You know, I am um, back to my, what I think we were talking about before is I'm always interested in what somebody wants to do with their life. Where do they want to be in five years? Why is that so important? It doesn't need to be the five. Because it's, I think you, if, you, if somebody trusts you enough to really be honest with you, I have found executive chefs in a dish pit. I mean, they weren't executive chefs then, but you know what I mean? I, I found MBAs, yeah. you know, bussing tables. They weren't there then. Yeah. I found, you know, directors of finances hosting. They weren't, you know, just, it's really, it's interesting because then you have this synergy between you and them and say, okay, I may not be able to walk you all the way to that goal, but I know that I can get you pretty close or closer than you just standing here. Absolutely. So why don't we start talking? Why don't we start talking about that when we do your reviews as how can I get you closer to that goal? Yeah, it's such a win-win. And I I mean, there's so many opportunities, so many variables in a restaurant, so many things you need to be good at. And you're not going to be good at all those things likely, but you, you, you might have that young person that you just hired uh, that 19 year old person who has dreams of becoming an accountant or that that uh, photographer or that multimedia whiz kid who makes amazing videos on his own time like on youtube that you could use those skills uh to you know move your business forward and you're 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 doing yourself a disjustice most importantly you're doing this person a, a disjustice because there's so much more than whatever you know there's so much more than washing dishes you know like they can they're capable of so much more bring that out of them i love it awesome stuff um and what is one challenge uh you're either currently experiencing or you see a lot of your clients currently experiencing um Union environments are sometimes compromising um, when it comes to conceptual changes. Um, it's there's a lot of parameters and a lot of boundaries that you need to work within to to make change and to make fast change, and it's it takes a little bit more time uh, having everyone come aboard, especially if you're coming into a legacy property with um, a lot of tenure with the staff to do a complete concept change and, you know, service aspects and, and everything, you know, from the, the uniforms are now changed and the table numbers are changed and the concept has changed and the way we approach things are different. It, it takes a little bit more time um, to, to get everybody up to it, everyone up to their feet. And what's the best uh, approach to handling that challenge? inclusiveness, really allowing people that have been part of a property for many years to feel part of what's coming new, more so than you would if you were just doing a brand new restaurant. Because, you know, they're invested. You know, you, you know they're invested because you, you look at what their hire date was. They've obviously spent some time there. So allowing them to come along 
part of the ride more than so you would if you were opening a brand new restaurant. Maybe invite them to a couple more of the round tables than you would typically at any other bartender or server. Of course, there's some meetings that they just would not be in their best interest to be privy to the information, but, you know, have it be more collective as much as possible. I, I find good success with that. What do you guys think about this? This is what we're thinking about doing. Open it up. I love it. And uh, what is one yeah. book uh, that's a must read to become a better person or better restaurant owner? Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. Ooh, I've heard that one. I think mentioned once or twice. Uh, what was the biggest lesson for you in that book? I haven't read it yet, but I want to. Uh, just um, patience with yourself. Humility. And just knowing that the, um, the the path that you want to take or are, or planning to take may not always be that that same path that you're going to take. And uh, what is what is one piece of technology you've adopted? We already talked a little bit about technology that has made you more profitable, more efficient, more uh, productive, uh, increased communication. Uh, like, how are you leveraging technology or recommending your clients leverage technology? Well, there's so many great pieces out there, but uh, one that I I'm a huge fan of the tablets table side for certain casual. Um, or casual or even mid-tier concepts um, versus a big clunky POS system that lives over in the corner. Um, a lot of different, both from an aesthetic standpoint as well as from a guest satisfaction standpoint. Um, they're streamlined. They're, they're contemporary looking. They don't, don't take away from the decor of the operation. And when they're being used table side, especially in a fast casual or a faster paced restaurant they really allow for repeat orders to the bar to be sent effortlessly it keeps the servers out on the floor which is one of my major pet peeves i want servers out talking to guests not huddled in the back waiting to put an order in um and it just i i think it's one of the the greater things that uh technology is doing and especially with us moving into a chip system and soon to be following the, the Euro chip system where table side uh, payment will be needed. I think it's good to get ahead of that. Yeah. And is there a platform you see doing this well right now that you can suggest or recommend? I think I, I'm, I'm happy with micros. Okay. Awesome. I'll have that link in the show notes. And with all the knowledge you have now, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of business advice. What would it be? To get an MBA. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. Um, that just the business of business has so many layers and variables to understand that I, I think it would have been in my, my best interest to, to do that. <laughs> Uh, this has been fun. If, if there's any questions I could have asked you that would have brought more uh, value to the conversation, what would it have been? Um, probably, like, would you have taken a different path to uh, where you are now if you could have? Would you have taken a different path now uh, than what you could have? Mm -hmm. What would you have done differently? I, I probably, I probably would have decided maybe a little bit sooner, you know, and really kind of, I, you know what, 
here's let me, let me recant that. <laughs> I, I would have went over to Europe and I, I would have studied wine when I was younger. I, I would have taken a couple years off and really just lived in a vineyard why is <laughs> after that? my MBA. I would have got, got an MBA and I'd have lived in a vineyard for four years. Why is and that then so I came back though? to the real world. I, I agree with you. It's so powerful. Yeah. I feel like when you're young, especially I think right out of high school personally is the time to do it uh, right. because that's the time in your life where you can get away with living with five or six other people <laughs> and you don't have any yeah. liabilities. <laughs> you, you can get in trouble financially and move back in with your parents. Uh, like that's the time, like those are the times you're supposed to fuck up. So go do right. a fuck up <laughs> and learn from it uh, and get the experience, get the knowledge when you can, when you're resilient enough to bounce back easily because you have no liabilities. Um, so valuable. Uh, I, I mean, is there anything that you want to share after what I just riffed on? No, I mean, I, I think that if, you know, whatever opportunity you have for continued education, I think it's just so powerful, whether that is, you know, if, if you're blessed enough to be in wine country at any capacity, go there for a crush. If you can take an online advanced Excel course, take it, you know, allow yourself to continue pushing, even if you're exhausted and have kids and you're so important and have a fancy email signature, keep educating, keep, you know, taking fun things, take a Spanish cheese course mm. I mean, do something cool, you know, yeah. just, just keep the brain growing. Awesome. Keep it excited. I love it, man. And how can we connect with you? Uh, it, it mean, we wrap up every episode first by calling somebody else. Let me start there. I skipped a very important part. So who's somebody you admire, an independent restaurant operator, uh, somebody that you think would be a great guest mentor like you've been for us today? Wonderful. His name is Tommaso Bunker. Maso Bunker, look out. I'm coming after you. Who, who yeah. is this character? So uh, right now he is a business development for uh, Mr. Espresso okay. in Oakland. Yes. Uh, T- Tommaso was the director of operations for Left Bank Group when I had worked there uh, many years back. Beautiful. Tommaso, look out. I'm coming after you. And now let the folks at home know how can we connect? Uh, if we loved what you had to share with us today, if we want to come uh, lean on your expertise, what's the best way to do it? Wonderful. Well, uh, Puccini Group uh, website would be uh, one way. So that's P-U-C-C-I-N-I-G-R-O-U-P.com. Or you can, I, w- I would love to hear from anybody directly. Um, my, my email, rgable, R-G-A-B-E-L, at Puccinigroup.com. I'll have those links in the show notes. This is episode 336. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 336. You'll find a link in a summary of everything we discussed today on the show. And Mr. Gable, my man, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today uh, to make us all better with your advice and your stories. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. I appreciate that, Eric. (laughs) It was a blast. Cheers. Well, there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, A little all over the place today, but I'm totally cool with that. I was really just trying to get everything and anything I could out of Rafe today, Raffi, Raphael, I'll be honest, still not entirely sure how to say his name. I apologize if I am destroying it, but regardless of how bad I'm 
destroying <laughs> Rafi's name. Um, he was great. He had tons of great advice today, and uh, everything from just having that right mental attitude to uh, time management to uh, just prioritizing, using your calendar, delegation, uh, being lean. Uh, so much was covered today uh, in so many different directions, and I hope you guys found value someplace. I know I did. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today and like always guys if you're finding value in this podcast let me know shoot me an email eric at restaurantunstoppable.com or connect with me on social media eric cacciatore instagram twitter facebook is slash restaurants unstoppable or the best way to connect with me set up a one-on-one 15 minute chat i love connecting with my listeners uh, if I don't have your answer, I know somebody who does. I'll do my best to connect you with the right people and reference the right books or connect you with the right tool. I'll do what I can. I'm the guy who knows the guy. So let me connect you with my network. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I love you all so much. Thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.